Facebook and with this week's Monday Revelations and opening up as always for the last four weeks with Falcon Winter Soldier. And if you had any questions prior to this week, we now know you do not mess with Adora Milaje. <laughs> Don't even think about it. I need that shirt, like the Wu like Wu Tang Clan, but instead it says Dora Milaje. I had just dropped my phone too, Mike. I was getting ready to hit play. <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> was that the best line in the whole show when he said uh easy you might you might be better off fighting bucky <laughs> that was good so i'd say uh you know opening uh reactions thoughts on episode four what do you think joe um I, it was good man i mean it was this was this was I kind of wish this was this was a longer show than six because I would have to say this is that this is the episode that kind of hooked me. Like I was in from the beginning um, with the with the whole thing, but I think this episode four is the one that was the hook. This is the show, like if it was like any other show where it's 10 to 13 to a full, you know, 24 show season, whatever it is, this would have been the one that would have hooked me for the long haul um you know and and like you said now it's just two episodes left you're just like what what are they going to do with this um you know and it was just it, from beginning to end i was just hooked into the story uh as it went so it was great for me brooks and mark totally agree with that 100 i mean i've been kind of lukewarm on this show from the first episode i've liked it been fine um that last episode was a doozy i mean I, brooks we looked at each other afterwards and we're like oh my god right i mean that was just it was really 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 something i you know i love the way i, I god I, I i never want to talk politics ever but i mean you kind of have to in this show because it's kind of relevant i love that they kind of keep everything vague i don't know that you can draw a direct parallel between any of these groups and any real group in the world um, and I feel like they're doing a good job with that because I think the crazy people on both sides politically are upset with the show and the way they're presenting that things. But it, it feels relevant when you're watching it to those types of conversations. Um, I think in general, it's got a good theme of, you know, about extremism and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, on top of all of that, it, when I say a good theme, I mean anti-extremism, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> when it, you know, but it's also just got this had that monster hook cliffhanger, which I can't wait to see where we go from here. I mean, it's going to be really, really interesting. And Brooks brought up a good point. What were you saying about the last three Marvel projects? It kind of seems like they're setting up a world where people do not have the best perception of superheroes. Because mm. in Spider-Man, you had Spider-Man and Mysterio, and you had that moment which was kind of captured in the media. You had that moment with Scarlet Witch and the people in the town, which was also mm -hmm. kind of captured where you, they were very clear about making her walk off kind of in this, you know, being shame. Upon, literally. Shame, shame. 
And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now you have this moment where you're literally the world is filming backed up by the title of the show being the world is watching. And it feels like they're kind of setting up this thing where superheroes are kind of on the outs. That's, that's a great observation because that would go along with the whole secret invasion thing. Because in the comics, the secret invasion basically ends with like the heroes almost shamed. And then that's where Norman Osborn rises to power and takes over. And instead of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, he's got the super spy agency. So, yeah, I mean, that's a really great observation. I had not thought about that at all. But now I'm pretty curious. That was all Brooks. And that's what Zemo has been pushing for, too, that there shouldn't be superheroes. You you shouldn't have these kind of people. Absolutely. Yeah, I, that was a really cool moment. I thought for a moment there he was actually going to pick up one of those vials, and he didn't. He's just—I did too. And I'm not sure we weren't supposed to think he was considering it because there was definitely a pause there. But uh, you know, I love the fact they held their ground with the character and had him smash it. I think that was uh, just kind of getting back into the politics. It showed his ideology, made mm-hmm. sure that you know that he was staunch about it, and I love that about him. That just, he's got an edge, you know what I mean? That he's got a real st- flag in the ground of who he is and what he believes. I just love the fact that he's betraying them, doing all this stuff behind their back and then offering them tea. <laughs> I mean, I just say, like, to, to me, it's like, to me, that's like the best supervillain because that's what I've always liked about Dr. Doom. And I think I've said this before, but you like, you know, he's offering you dinner, he feeds you, he gives you this four course meal and then he obliterates you with a disintegrator blast as soon as you're done. So, and that's kind of yeah. like how Zemo is kind of rolling. It's like, you know, he, he he's literally actively scheming to betray them. And he's like, would you like some tea? You know, so it's kind of, uh, they're playing that character so well. well I think, I think, go ahead, Joe. Oh, I, know, I was just going to say, I was gonna, I was going to say, I think with the Zemo character, I think he, two things with him. I think he, they said in the show that Zemo's a means to an end for Bucky and Sam, but mm-hmm. Bucky and Sam are a means to an end for Zemo. So Zemo's going to do, he's going to plot, he's going to scheme to get over on them, but he's going to keep them close. He's going to keep them there because he knows that they're going to get him more. He's going to get the information, but he's there, the, they're the device to get him to the next step. You know, um, I think he also, from just the way he is, that kind of posh lifestyle that he's used to that um european background that i think we all agree that the house they were in or the place was his and i think it's one of those things where it's a hospitality thing yes you might be my enemy yes i may not like you but you're in my house so i'm going to be uh i'm going to be you know i'm going to welcome you to my house i'm going to give you tea i'm going to do that um there's a name for that i forget what it's called Uh, just being a gracious host (laughs) yes being a gracious host um, and they talked about it a little bit just real quick they talked about it in game of thrones it's like if somebody comes into your house you welcome them you don't you don't you don't try to kill them while they're in your own house you're taking them in under your roof um which we all know how that goes if you watch the show um and then along with what mark said is i like yes nobody like you don't really want to have to talk politics but the show does it in a way where it's very subdued i think the the ideas are there you can infer what you will from them and it gets a conversation going um you know and then some of them are pretty blatant like you know like oh yep i see what that is but some of them you can infer like oh well this is about this social group or this is about that social group or this is about 
uh, this political thing or this is about that uh, so, social, uh, you know, thing that's happening in the world today where you can, you can start a conversation on it. Um, and for me, the one thing I like about the show a lot is it's kind of grounded a little more in that realism where WandaVision was very out of this world, a big shield around everything in this bubble made perfect. And then the walls started to come down, kind of thought of it but it's very fantastical of witches and wizards and things like that, where this is a little more grounded. I mean, yes, you're still talking about super soldiers and serums and, and superheroes, but there's still a bit of that realism where you could actually see, oh, I, I could see these things happening in the world today, you know, so. I think we've established there are no wizards, right? Just sorcerers. Don't think of this. <laughs> there are sorcerers oh, without sorcerer. hats. Yeah, sorcerers are wizards yeah. without hats. Wizards without hats. Joe, you're right, and I like how they're playing that up. You and uh, Mark, um, you know, one of the things that I always thought about um, when I was still in service, and I've talked to buddies of mine about that are veterans, is um, nobody ever stops to think that you know when we're when we go to wars as a country, the other side's the bad guys. But we've seen in plenty other in reality, we're the other guys' bad guys. You have people that are fighting for their homes over there as well. And um, and I think that's what Sam was trying to wake up um, with. Um, gosh, what's her name? Carly. 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 They were trying to wake. That's what he was trying to wake up with her that, you know, you're you're killing innocents. You're you're going to this extremism side. And, you know, there were, and there was a few times where he it looked like he was actually breaking through to her, especially when he got her to say that she'd go through and kill them all again. Yeah. Like that was a big statement, and then you could see it dawn on her what she had just said. Mm-hmm. It, it's a great, powerful, very timely and relevant theme that in a Oscar award-winning movie, you know, there, there's a vagueness to the politics here, which keeps people from turning the show off. Probably half the country mm-hmm. on either side, you know. What I mean, but there's a vagueness to it that I think also allows for conversation, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that about the show. And I think that scene in particular really hit home, you know, for me, I thought it was, I thought it was a really great scene that, you know, it just showed depending on what side of the mirror you're looking at, you know what I mean? It, it's uh, you know, it's a whole different perspective. Wait, wait, you have to add to it the scene where, where he's explaining, where Sam's talking to John Walker about Carly, about why, you know, basically explaining why these people have been radicalized or what the, the things that happened that caused this and why they're not necessarily bad and why these two sides essentially need to talk instead of doing what they're doing because the intention is that they want to live they want to be able to live somewhere right Mm -hmm. that's all that they want and so i think i think that makes it come full circle as the other side of it is like okay yeah like you need to be whatever but then on the other side they're saying but we understand why she got how she got here essentially I think it's a fascinating story. I think often in superhero movies, you never you never get to see the ramifications of the things that happen in them. You know what I mean? And I think it's the fact that they took this thing that happened in in um, Infinity War and Endgame, which is the removal of all these people and then the return of all of them. And now we get to see like the ramifications. Like there's so many movies that you see some crazy thing happen. And then it's just like, okay, now all the good guys are happy. And now it's the end of the movie and we never go back to that world. 
But with Marvel, the greatest thing is that we just keep going back to this world. And because we do, they're like, well, this thing happened. We got to figure out how to deal with it. And how would the world deal with all these people disappearing? Well, then they they merged, you know, everybody found a way to, to live for that, those five years. Well, oh, now they're all back. Well, now what are we going to do? <laughs> like, I live in this house, but the guy who used to live here is back. You know, right. like... <laughs> I, I mean, they haven't addressed it yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be somebody who's married to someone that else that the person came back and like stuff like that. I mean, so I just think it's fascinating. And I think, by the way, uh, some I think it was Joe, you said about how they have two episodes left and you just got hooked. I, I think that's because this is multi seasons. I don't think I don't think we're getting any conclusion, man. I think I think. Yeah. I think this is cliffhanger central at the end. And I think it's like, stay tuned for season two kind of thing. To me, this screams multiple season kind of thing. I mean, it, it could end with Sam getting the shield and, and starting to try to be Captain America. And that would be a decent place to end it, to be honest. Right. Yeah. I, I, and I think you'll get some kind of resolve with like Carly, but then some bigger thing you know zemo turns or whatever happens at the end th that looms for next time but this feels like the beginning of something it doesn't feel like a standalone story to me it, and it, it shouldn't be lost on us it, as you guys were, were were talking through it, that the guy with the shield the guy who's the symbol of america is a douchebag you know is is we cut someone's head off <laughs> is imperialistic look at me, look is, at me. i'm the captain now <laughs> <laughs> and he murdered someone on like live instagram right. or whatever and, and so but the interesting thing is there too is that you're having multiple people say not my america this is not my captain america he's not like in the not the fans i mean you know like sam's sister and sam and like i you know we're not with him that's not how we feel about all this ah uh, yeah interesting i think you're I think you're going to see a big turn happen. I think what Mike, you just said about people saying that's not my Captain America. That's not my, that's not how I spend my Captain America is going to play out somewhere in the next, in that next season or not next season, but the next episode. Um, so like in the very first, was it the first episode you saw the, they, they paraded him out in mm -hmm. front of his hometown, in front of all these people, this big fanfare with him and everything was all, you know excited and happy and i think that's where you're going to see that turn is now people are going to be like whoa 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 this is not this is not what we signed up for you know this is this is not the guy we want you know representing us um across you know across the world as as what we are um and i and i'm very curious to see the ramifications of that you know um I don't know if we're going to get it. I don't know if this is a, we're going to get into that trailer that happened, but I feel like there was one key piece in there I saw where it looked like he was on trial. And if you look at it, he says, I'm Captain America. So I think there's going to be this play in there of that, you know, like where people are starting to kind of be like, nah, he's, he's not my guy. He's, that's not the one I want. That's not what we want. Yeah, so, he's in his dress uniform. Right, right. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this to Sanders, you know, because Jeff's been, been silent in the corner over here. But um, one of the things I know Mark and I were kind of going back and forth with at the end of the episode is 
where does it where does Walker go from here? Is he wanted? Is he goes? Does he go on the run? Is he you know? What do you think, Jeff? Where 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 do we pick up? You know, I'm not sure if there's going to be a redemption or time for redemption in this particular show. You know, I I would think, um, you know, I, I don't know how closely it's going to follow the comics. My understanding from the comics was that he shows himself to to kind of be this this jerk, this douche, if you will, and then there's a time where it really turns around for him. Um, you know, and so I don't I don't know if we're really going to have. We only have a couple more episodes now. Is that going to be part of the MCU where we see the progression? of who he becomes or is he really the bad guy and that's the whole story here is getting that shield away from him because don't forget the serum enhances that which you already are and he's starting to show his true colors as as he got you know he obviously took the serum you saw that um you didn't see him do it you saw the result of it right now look at what that led him to his buddy just gets killed that what you know and so what does he do he goes and he takes vengeance and that's absolutely not what steve would have stood for that's not what sam would stand for that's that's not what any of them would do so i you know i i would see within this arc we're gonna you know is he ultimately the villain you know is it i mean he's not the power broker but is he, you know, is he who they have to ultimately apprehend? You know, what, what are they going to do with that? And I don't, I don't know. I really don't. I'm, I'm interested to see where they take it. Does he, does this character go on into the later movies? Is this just his, his one shot? You know, I, I'm, they're brilliant. The guys who do this are brilliant. And so they're going to capitalize on it, obviously. Marvel and Faggy, I mean, these guys, they're probably planning, you know, what happens to U.S. Agent 10 years from now. It's just, they're, they're remarkable. So, but I, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I'm curious, like, playing like late night uh, cable news talk show host, if you, you know, if he doubles down on his behavior, right? I mean, so there was... The guy that he killed was a was a, a terrorist who was an accomplice to her killing multiple people. Just killed his friend, and then he killed him. Yeah, it's unfortunate it happened on live TV, but he killed a bad person. And I think that's kind of like the way the this show is so interesting to me is it, the the perspective of it keeps changing, and it's never right to kill a person, obviously. But could a part of the country? It, it's easy for us. We all we all feel like, and I think you're kind of led to watch the show and feel like John Walker's a terrible person, and he is, and and nobody likes him. He's maybe the least liked person in the MCU at this point. But will they reveal that there's another half of people out there who really like him and respond to the way he did things and want him to be their Captain America? I'm curious if that's going to be part of this conversation or, or if it's going to be unanimous that he's a tool bag and he's going to go on the lamb and everyone's going to be trying to no, I, I completely agree and i would just add to that how is the government going to respond correct like are they going to cover it up back them up that kind of thing or or not and i would suggest the latter probably right. you know what i mean <laughs> like they're probably going to back them and this is our symbol we've got to protect it and stuff like that you know i feel like we're going to have a run with that for a while because he's definitely oh go ahead so i have in my head jack nicholson you want me on that wall correct me on that wall by by the way it has to be said because there's enough trash on twitter and everything else this guy is knocking out of the park 
Like the, the fact that people are giving him death threats and everything else, this actor that's playing John Walker is unbelievable. And in this episode, particularly, I think made a lot of people look pretty dumb from the, some of the stuff they've been saying over the past few weeks. Well, and it's kind of funny. You were talking about whether people, whether they'll show people identify with them. I'm sure there's people out there that watch this episode that was like, that's how Captain America should be, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, it it, it 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 is interesting though because what they show is sort of realistic like soldiers are taught to become within a few seconds the most violent individual you can be but you're also taught to dial it back um especially when you go through extensive training you, you you're put in all these situations to bring out the worst violence you could possibly imagine out of yourself and then but you're also you're supposed to be able to dial it back and adjust it to the threat in front of you so when somebody's down on the ground screaming, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Yeah, you probably don't want to behead them. But then at the same time, <laughs> but then at the same time, when um, soldiers go in for night raids, even after they shoot somebody, a lot of times they'll put two more in them to make sure that they're they're not a threat again, especially if they're an armed combatant. So it's kind of um, it, it is an interesting conundrum, and um, you know, the comics did exactly what you guys described you know he he goes wild and in the comics it was his parents that got killed in front of him and he basically slaughters the entire group that did it horribly even worse than what they did showed in the show and the government spends it but behind the scenes they're coming down on him they're threatening him with prison time and to strip him of the shield and all and they end up like once he gets his butt handed to him by steve and steve takes the mantle back they fake his death and then he disappears. And then suddenly this guy who looked, who dresses almost just like Captain America and has his own shield appears and they're calling him the U.S. agent. <laughs> so I'm curious to see like um, how much of that story makes it through. But the, the amazing thing about this and it's what you guys have all said in a nutshell is that they're really taking this fantastic story with all these fantasy elements in it. And they're grounding it in reality, which I think is something that we've all discussed that we love about the MCU to begin with. Mm-hmm. And um, like this, I went back and rewatched um, Winter Soldier and Civil War all over again. And this is like the perfect successor to that storyline. And I, I guess I've always like I like the Iron Man films. I like the Avengers. I pretty much have liked all the films to varying degrees. But the Captain America films always made me want to go back and reread a bunch of Captain America stories. Because even like back to the days of the 60s of Steranko's stories and um, where they first introduced the the, uh, the first carbon copy Captain America, um, which long story short, it was the Captain America that, that they wrote during the 50s that was against commies and they had to somehow explain how Cap was there in the 50s so it was a fan of Cap's who took the super soldier serum and went crazy similar story right and um so they brought him in and so I mean all this stuff like dated all the way back to probably the early 70s mid 70s and now again Marvel has they've cherry-picked different pieces of the story and put it all together and this really good succinct pretty much easy to follow storyline like somebody could probably start watching um from the first episode of falcon the winter soldier and get the story and not have to go out watch anything before now they'd be nuts not to since if they're watching this they have disney plus and can watch it all but it's um (laughs) 
it's, you know, for the bootleggers out there, uh, they could watch this without having to worry about it all. So it's just, I don't know, it's just part of um, their brilliance and how they're handling the filming, the storytelling. I'm actually kind of jealous, and I'm sure some of the writers are jealous that have created some of this because they've streamlined it so well. Yeah, indeed. Well, and you've got, you know, even Walker has his moments where he talks about, I have these medals to remind me of the worst day of my life, you know, where you have Zemo, who in Civil War was kind of one-dimensional, you know, and now is the most interesting character in the show, you know? And, and so you've got all this, this kind of going on in front of you and we don't really know how the, how the Wakandans are, are going to ultimately factor into the, I mean, there's so many things that are, they're, they're balls in the air that it's fantastic. You know, I think I, I'm kind of with you, Brandon, there's, there's no way this is going to be completely resolved. It's got to spin out into something else. But by the way, we also know there's a Wakanda show coming, right? Right. right. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things this could spin out into. Um, it's I, I I haven't heard anything about you know when we watch Wandavision, I think we, everybody knew where that was leading out to, but th- there's not a lot of information about what this is going to connect to, and that's why I feel like. It's probably either, but or both, multiple seasons of this, but also other shows. Like this might be almost like. Oh, by the way, the the one thing I did want to say was, other than not counting the Netflix show, the end of that show is the most violent thing they've done. Right? Am I wrong? Like I, I was trying to think of anything else in any of these movies or shows that aren't Netflix that rivals the violence of that last scene. I, I can't okay. think of anything. I mean, Thor did behead um, Thanos. Thanos that- but like, that was like silly, kind of. I know that sounds crazy, but it's like, this was like blood Creepy. and yeah, bludgeoning yeah, yeah. and like- It was a great know. shot. I mean, the way they, they panned the camera and tilted the camera so that you could see the blood on the shield. I mean, it was very dramatic yeah. and out in and, and, and its violence and gore. And the human <laughs> being and not some no, like creature there's also in slow motion in some parts. Yeah, Brooks probably there was no it was in slow motion and there was there's no music to it. It just was very still and very well. I done. thought that scene was something really different. I I, totally. I don't think we've seen anything like that in in this uh, aside from Netflix, which is insanely violent. But like I mean, like one episode of Punisher has more violence than like anything in the entire MCU, but um I thought that was interesting, and I, I wonder if that. I, I I wonder if you know the the effect of that is if it's just going to stand as like that thing to mean that much more, or if this is maybe a little bit of a sign that maybe we're going to get some more of this type of stuff in this arc. I think. Well, I, mean, I think. Go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say the thing that really, I think the, the the powerful thing in that particular scene for me, along with the visuals and everything, was was the sound design, and it was that thump of the shield coming down that you heard. That was it, it wasn't that sound of an actual shield hitting someone's body, but it was that hard, just boom, 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 and, I, and it was like five times. Like they literally showed him hitting. It. I would almost ask you'd hear that sound five different times 
of him hitting him and then just that hand falling and the blood and then you can see him and just that last very last shot of where he lifts his shield up and you see the guy looking he's looking down the guy you see his face and then the shield comes down for that final blow and you don't see the face the guy's face anymore the hand falls and that's when john walker stands up and is looking around and is just looking at everyone and is like and the blood because you don't yeah. they don't show blood very much they don't show the blood very much and he's looking around at everyone and there's no real like to me there was no like real remorse there was no fear there wasn't like a yeah. oh my god these people are seeing me there was like there was almost that like yes look uh, look at what i did look at i'm captain america this is who i am and that's why when going back to what's going to be his ram the ramification of him i don't think he's going to run I don't think he's going to have to stop thinking about that to make sure. I don't think he's going to run. I think he's going to be like, yes, but I'm Captain America. And I, I forgot who just said it. I think maybe Mike said it, but, you know, this guy, Mark, I think you even said it. This guy was a terrorist. I had to chase him down. He was involved in the killing of, um, you know, my partner, Battlestar, who was this. Um, so I think they, he's going to blew up a camp. They blew yeah. up a camp. We were chasing them down. Um, and I think that's going to be. I think that's going to be his stance. Um, well, he ran into a crowd of people too. He could spin. Yeah. Right. I was protecting all the innocent. Yeah. I was protecting all these people that were there. He's a known user of the super soldier serum. Um, you and know, his online gamer tag is noob master 69. I mean, <laughs> these guys, they have to go. yeah. So this, yeah, he got everything, you know, he'll, he'll throw everything out to get away with it. <laughs> and and let's, um, not, let's not forget the title of the episode. The world is watching, right? And I think Brooks pointed this out to me. Like in Black Panther, when uh, Black Panther was about ready maybe to kill somebody, someone said, Chala, the world is watching, and he stopped, right? So, like, there's this reference back to that, mm. which, you know, he Chala stopped, this guy didn't. And I think, you know, they're the only person in this episode, and maybe in, in this whole phase so far, that has really been good is Sam to me like morally sound, even though he's also on the run with Baron Zemo, which is kind of like letting, you know, I don't know the, the whoever the worst terrorist in the world is <laughs> and, and running around the world with him. Right. I mean, Zemo is as bad as you can be, but the only one who's close to being morally sound the whole way through is Sam, everybody else. And I feel like that's one of the themes of this new phase. There's a certain kind of lawlessness and wild west of all of these shows all of these movies so far. And I think we're waiting for a leader to kind of come set some moral boundaries and kind of get everything, the ship righted again. Cause I mean, Bucky broke Zemo out of jail. That's a bad thing, man. That's not good. Well, technically he broke himself out of jail according to Bucky. <laughs> he likes right. to say that. I've heard him. Yeah. yeah. Court technically broke himself out of jail. If you go back to Steve becoming Captain America, he was selfless. He, you know, he, he, all the, all the qualities that they showed in him when he was a pipsqueak are what made him the right person for Captain America. And you're watching Sam do all those same things right now. You're watching him have empathy for Carly and, and, and know what's going on in their world and, and walking through this place where to me, it's by the end of this, he's going to be so clearly the correct person for the shield that maybe he'll even see it himself. Yeah. Well, you described it perfect. Uh, Steve was Captain America, 
before he became a soldier. John Walker was a soldier before he became Captain America. Now with Sam, Sam was a soldier, but if you notice when he was introduced, what was he doing? He wasn't still soldiering. He was trying to help people heal. Mm -hmm. He was running um, a group for, you know, veterans with PTSD and he was out there running. That's how he and Steve met. So, yeah, I think you're spot on there with kind of how they're setting that up. And just um, it keeps coming up. Wakanda, and um, the show that's coming on. Did you guys notice the groundwork that they laid with uh, Ayo and uh, Bucky? Yeah. Like, um, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, they had that intro to the episode with, you know, obviously they have a connection because she helped him get through all that programming, all her and, of course, Shuri. Um, but then later on, they had to face one another. And even in the choreography of that, they weren't trying to hurt one another. They were actually doing their best not to harm one another. And she stopped it by pulling that trick where she can make his arm fall off. She literally disarmed him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she literally disarmed the man, which was the... <laughs> she could have killed him right there, yeah. and she didn't. And she just kind of walked off. So that that was kind of interesting. There, there, there's an intimacy there between those two yeah. that, you know, I don't think they would just throw that in there without trying to explain it later. By the way, I told Mark this when we were talking, like I rewound that scene like two or three times because that whole sequence was so good. But the part where she just disconnects his arm and he's kind of like, like, how do they think of this? Stuff? I mean, it's just so good. So I like the part where it comes back, the way like the tentacles yeah. threw it. I mean, that, I'm, I watched that two or three times. I'm like, who even thought of that? How did they make that look so real? I mean, it just. I was like, like, how did they make his arm out of Steppenwolf? Did they get like part <laughs> of Steppenwolf? <laughs> and look and look at uh, well, even look at Walker's reaction. Then he he literally, literally gets his butt handed to him, and he's like, they weren't even super soldiers, right? It, that's why he took the out. serum. He got his ass kicked by a bunch of women. I mean, that's that's who this guy is, right? Like he he couldn't take the fact that these women beat his ass and he's got this like machismo or this like man syndrome or whatever that he has to be the, the top of the top. I mean, you have to remember that's part of this too, right? Like even when he was good, part of it was, you know, Pete, like if you've ever met people like that that are like the top of the everything, there's something off about some of them you know what i mean like like that they the people that always have to be the best at everything aren't always the best people to be honest with you and so like the fact that he had all this like it's it's it, and then the second that he couldn't be that person he had to resort to taking the serum yeah he's used to being the man and now he's trying to walk in the shoes of somebody that was actually better than him I mean, you know, think about it. Trying to take over for Steve Rogers as Captain America is like somebody handing you a basketball. I mean, like, hey, go play Jordan's position. You know, <laughs> you're going to be like, and, and you're going to have a serious issue with some self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, he and he wasn't good enough. Let's face it. Like, I mean, if he's the best a civilian soldier could do it being a, a superhero without like Falcon's Tony Stark Falcon armor or whatever, you know, he was not good enough. He was not going to make it. He got his butt kicked every every time in the show like he had an opportunity he got his butt kicked and that was going to continue to happen until someone killed him so i mean to be a superhero he was going to have to take the serum or he was got to get a lot of help from somebody else all of tony stark to make a, a suit for him and that was never going to happen and but he facing the you know the prospect of like not being that person to brandon's point he was like screw it i'll you know i'll do something questionable here i'm not going to just 
disappear and go to the back of the line. He's, he was good. He was, I think he was good. He was a good Captain America on paper. Like, I think if you listed out his accolades and what he was as a soldier on paper, I think the government looked at that and was like, okay, yeah, that's what we want. You know, because if you really look at even Captain America, when Steve was trying to become a soldier, they kept pushing him off. They kept pushing him off. He wasn't good enough. And then it came down to, like they said, Steve Rogers was good, was Captain America because he was a good man, not a good soldier. Steve, or not Steve, uh, John Walker is a good soldier, but not necessarily a good man. You know what I mean? Um, that's a good way know. to put it. That's such a good way to put yeah. it. The, the, yeah. And that's the way that that's the way that a government would look at it, right? Like, look at this yeah. this resume. Like, here's your guy right here. Did you talk to him? No, but look, look at this. This right. looks great. And when they put him on TV, when they had that interview with Good Morning America, um, what what did they talk about? When he he was like, oh well, you know, um, you know, he played downplay. But what did they put out as his resume? They put out the three medals that he got. They put out all his um, accolades as going to MIT and testing it off the charts. So all that stuff you would see on paper on a resume that's, oh, this is our top candidate. we got to put him in there. And then you get the guy and he doesn't know. And, you know, it's like when you get a job and you do on there and you don't know how to turn on a computer, you know. So this is where he is. Like he looks good on paper. He's worked out all this stuff. But the man himself has these this dark side this darkness in him the the things he's he's seen which he even said in the last episode of you know his worst day he's getting congratulated for now good or bad you know maybe he did some bad stuff maybe bad things happened we don't know i don't know but that's a trauma that's happened to him and now you put all this pressure of being captain america on top of this guy and then on top of that, his partner just got killed, who, you know, who knows where his mind went outside of being under the influence of uh, a super serum, where his mind went to of losing other soldiers that he's lost and maybe not being able to do stuff. You know, even Battlestar said, think of how many people we could have saved if we had the super serum. And now here John Walker is who has a super serum and can't save his friend. Right. And just loses it on this dude, you know, Um, like I half expected him to look through the crowd, see Carly in the crowd and take off after her. That's what I kind of was expecting that I lock at the two of them to say, I see you, I'm coming for you next kind of thing. So, yeah. I will say that my, my initial response after that killing scene at the end is that the government has too valuable an asset plus he's taking the the serum now they're not gonna arrest him or they're gonna double down on their investment and i think gary in pointing out the comics has probably pointed out they may deep six him and bring him back as somebody else just because they they want to keep him somehow in the mix oh yeah and and back to this whole personality like they talk about it in top gun a lot and and it's true a lot of your really good commanders there's a certain arrogance that comes along with that because they can't question themselves they're out in a scenario where their decisions their split second decision can cost lives so they make that decision and they feel well they know in their head they're right 
the rest of us may know they're wrong, but in their head, they know they're right because they've grown that arrogance of being in battle um, and having to make those type of decisions. And I think that's what he came into this with, you know, his decisions that he made and you can see it, you know, where you know, way back in one of the early episodes where, you know, Bucky and Sam are like, nah, dude, we're not going to work with you. And he's like, well, then stay out of my way. And that's because he knows in his head that he's right. And that's, uh, you know, that's born of where he came up from. Steve was always just humble. I mean, like, again, I go back to that comment that stuck with me from Captain America, the first Avenger. He's been through this war. He's freed all kinds of enemies, so all kinds of soldiers that were captive. I mean, he's done these amazing feats in battle and he's kneeling before the skull, sort of defeated. And the skull's like, what makes you so special? And he's like, nothing. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. And it's like, you know, he, he literally has taken down whole armies and he still feels that there is nothing special about him that, you know, he just kind of fell into this. And he carries that all the way through every movie. And, you know, uh, the actor does so well. Uh, Chris, I can't, why can't I get his last name? Chris Evans. Thank you. Because there's so many Chris's. I kept thinking. Um, and so I, many Evans's. <laughs> yeah, I went to say all the all the uh, different Chris's names before I would have got to him. He, he plays it so well. I mean, he plays that humble character all the way through, which is amazing because when you look at him as Johnny in the Fantastic Four movies, they're two completely different characters that he plays up really well. And that's the last good thing I'll say about the Fantastic Four movies that came before. <laughs> <laughs> you can, it, it's, it is funny though, if you look at, even how Walker and Rogers look in their masks, you know, it on scene, you've got Ro Rogers as this kind of like handsome looking. There's something off about Walker. I mean, his, he looks evil. He looks kind of violent. He looks, his ears stick out. I mean, they, they, they make him not look as heroic, more menacing than heroic in his mask. Uniforms darker. Mm -hmm. Yep. It doesn't fit just right. You know, I mean, it, it, I think this, yeah, I think, I think that that had to be a costume choice. It just doesn't fit right. And that's, you know, kind of a metaphor, right? So as we go around the screen, wrapping up our uh, episode four discussion, uh, I'll throw it out there to everybody. What's something you hope to see in the next two episodes? Oh, God. Uh, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I don't know who the power broker is, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um and and you know, I'm not I'm not gonna WandaVision fan it up and say like I think it should be this person, and if it isn't, then I'm gonna go on Twitter and cry about it. I think that it could be someone we know or could not be, and I'm fine with either. I just want to know who it is. I want to see. I want to see more of like what exactly their role is, you know, like, is it just, I want to know more, I guess, about the power broker in general, like, it's and what'd you say? I said it's Fiatro. Fiatro is the power broker. <laughs> if it's Evan Peters, I will like bow down to Marvel. That would be, that would be the best if they just keep bringing him back as like red herring. Every, 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 every show and movie from now on. And, they, and somebody hands him a drink and says, Comrade Boner. Yeah. <laughs> He's the new Stan Lee cameo. Yeah. Yeah. That would be that would be fantastic. Um, and then the other thing 
I want to see is I want I want to see my, I think I mentioned it earlier like what is the official response to this John Walker stuff and what's and what's the ramifications of that on everybody else Sanders you know I I kind of want some cliffhangers, if you want to know the truth. I want things that are getting me excited for what's coming next in Marvel. I don't know that I want them to end this story. I like the episodic kind of things that they're doing. And, you know, yes, I can play well into a movie, but I don't know that I want them to close it off. You know, I, yes, I, I want to, I want to know ultimately what happens with John Walker. Yes. I want to, I want to see Sam take the mantle and grab the shield. Yeah. I want to see, you know, that, uh, you know, Sharon Carter is evil, no, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, but I kind of want these, these cliffhangers to stay tuned because next week, you know, the, the here's what's coming next. And I, I you know, they, they keep me enthralled. They, they keep me wanting more and I can't wait till that next series comes out. And so uh, I, I don't, I don't know how much of that they're going to do. I think that we kind of have to tell the complete story, but um you know what? A, what a great great segue if they leave some things open, and you, you're just going to have to come back and watch if you want to know what happens here. You know, absolutely, Joe. Um, I kind of, I still want to see like a, a surprise guest, surprise character show up. Like the Dormilaje was great, but I just want to see someone from like from the movies or from like, a, you know, a, just show up like, boom, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe they got, they put this person on there. Deadpool. Um, yeah, Deadpool. yeah, you know, I would take that, like, that would be like, that would just throw it all into, into, into a storm, but. Um, you already got I, I, War Machine in the Dora Milaje. <laughs> yeah, that's on, true, man. that's true. I know, I know, I'm asking for a whole lot, you know, um, but I also kind of, like, I guess this would kind of, two things like two theories is one i don't think we'll find out who the power broker is and i'm kind of with sanders i almost don't want to find out who the power broker is this season i would like him to leave it off where whoever our character is standing in front of the carrot in front of the power broker but they cut off before we really see it and it goes into that next season um i would like that to kind of be that like who is it who is it who is this person who is it um and then my other theory kind of thing i would kind of almost like to see is a shield versus shield battle almost confrontation and i say that in this sense uh john walker keeps the shield he doesn't lose it for whatever reason he hangs on to it but bucky and sam go back to elijah and elijah still has a shield from his time that they never found or they never got back i don't know if that's a thing i don't know if it's in the comics but i would almost kind of like to see that kind of play on it mm -hmm. so where it's shield versus shield so where sam can take up the mantle he can take up the shield but he doesn't have that blood-stained shield that 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 uh john walker had um would be would be something i would like to see whether right. they do it or not it goes in that direction mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know if they're setting that up but that's something that i thought about i was like that would be kind of cool to see Happy, happy shows up and gives him a shield and says, you don't think we yeah. can get a real one, do you? 
right? And, and it transforms and changes into a whole new suit and everything. Erka? <sighs> um, I, um, I really want to see, well, A, I want to see who Sharon's talking to on the phone. Because mm-hmm. um, in my head, it's Nick Fury. I didn't even think about that. So I want to see, um, and, and like I said, in my head, it's, it's still Fury because she worked for him before and he's always got his finger on the pulse. And we've already seen him appear at the end of Spider-Man up in space, mm-hmm. um, still doing the same thing, talking to people in between movies and all. Um, and I really want to see, um, I want to see Bucky become more of this integrated individual um, combined in who he really is with the Winter Soldier persona. Um, cause you know, you, you've seen him progress from being the winter soldier, ultra violent to, um, civil war where he's kind of, he doesn't want to kill people, but in the battles, he accidentally does a few times. And Mike and I were talking about it and I just keep, th- I just went back and rewatched him. And I just keep thinking about when he almost flipped that, um, SWAT team member off the stairs and Steve catches him, and he's like, come on, man. Right after, and, and that was like right after Bucky looked at him in the apartment and was like, I'm not going to kill anyone. And so, right. um, and then at the beginning of this, you could tell he was holding back in that battle on top of the trucks because he's trying not to kill someone. And progressively, you can see like his battle readiness coming out. So I just want to see him kind of what the end result of this is. And I really want to see, and it's not a prediction, and it's probably not going to happen because this is the MCU, but I want to see if they tie him into the Black Widow. Um, because again, I, I watched just watching Civil War again. It was a throwaway line, but it has, it, they never came back and explained it. So it could mean two things. But in when he, when um, Zemo hits him with the code words and he reverts back to this Winter Soldier persona and basically hands, um, the entire building, their uh, buttocks, um, you know, he's fighting um, both Sharon and the Black Widow. And at first you're like, oh man, he's going to just get it handed to him. And he beats them both. And he's choking Black Widow on the table. And she says, you can at least, you could at least recognize me. Oh. And, um, you know, a lot of the rumor out there is that was just a throwaway line for the movie for when she was talking about in, in um, Winter Soldier, when he shot her, when she was, work at security but then comic fans are saying that that's a throwback to the whole comic storyline where they knew each other back when they were both going through their brainwashing periods and they developed the relationship when they could get moments and he actually helped train her in the red room Mm. so um it'd be interesting now obviously they've split that where he's a product of hydra in the movies and she's a product of russia but you have to imagine if Hydra was around infiltrating all these agencies, if they knew something like the Red Room existed, you bet they would have been there. Yeah. So, um, so I'm really curious to see if they tie into any of that origin because it would it would be awesome to see that storyline unfold in the future. Definitely. And and one other thing is that from the comics, you know, another thing that could be a real twist would be that Bucky, like in the comics, after being the Winter Soldier, actually becomes the new Captain America that did actually happen in the comics, you know? And I, I, I wonder if they could do something like that. And again, it's only us comic geeks who really remember that, know that, but you know, he has, he had his redemptive story as well, you know? So. Yeah. If you haven't read uh, Ed Brubaker's Captain America run, they have it all collected in like five trades and 
now's the time because a lot of this that's in Falcon and the Winter Soldier came from that. Yeah. Brooks and Mark, what do you guys, you know, hope to see? What do you want to see? I, I agree with Gary and uh, and Jeff. I mean, and just in that this is my favorite part of the MCU. I love this world. I love the the lineage from Civil War down to this. I would love to see them expand this, whether it's, you know, the fact that they've kind of tucked Wakanda into this, I think is really interesting. They're, they, again, that's my other that's my other favorite world. And it's all because it's so grounded. I'd love to see them introduce somebody into this into this particular segment, whether it's Namor or the Punisher or any of these people that, you know, I, I know Namor's rumored to be in the Black Panther too, but are we going to see that in this series? Are we going to see them open up into something like that? I think the power brokers, his name in the comic books is Curtis Jackson, which is also the real name of 50 Cent, I think. So I'm going to say that 50 Cent is playing the power broker. <laughs> like it. Oh, that perfect. would be so awesome. That would be perfect casting. Okay. And it would fit the Marvel. It would fit exactly. I'm, 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 I think the Power Broker is a new enough character in the comics that they might have named him after 50 Cent. So that's possible. So maybe he'll return the favor and show up. And that's where that's headed. That's my, I'm gonna, um, that's my bold prediction. I'm going there. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> that would be phenomenal. Would. <laughs> but I want to see, what I really want to see is, well, I would love to see that. That would be a grand plan, but. <laughs> If I can't see that, I would like to see, um, you know, Logan, Wolverine, Punisher, mm -hmm. one of the Namor, one of those characters, She-Hulk, Daredevil, somebody like that sneak into the series because they would add so much and enrich this world, which I think is already, I agree with what everyone else has said is my favorite in, the, in this universe. The, the, the two things that strike me, I mean, and they've teased it in their mid-season, you know, teaser, whatever where it looks like you're going to end up with a showdown between Sam and Bucky and Walker. And, and, and who can't wait for that? I mean, that's something that you're, you're pointing towards now and you want to see. There's, there's some part of me that wants to see Zemo survive out of this series without being in jail, too, so that that interest, that cool character can keep popping up places, you know? Yeah. I enjoy Zemo a lot. I think Brandon alluded to it earlier. I could see that being the entire, and, and, and sign me up and take my money, the Wakanda series being the Wakandans hunting Zemo all over the world would be, <laughs> yeah. sign me up. I'm in. I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> a character with that actor could carry his own series. Yeah. No question. yeah, definitely. So one thing as we were uh, leading up to this episode, um, the, the website The Nerdist and a writer named Eric Diaz pointed out that in 1986, a whole lot of things happened in the comic world, um, you know, that, that Gary remembers probably like it was yesterday. Um, it wasn't? <laughs> right. <laughs> One of which was that was the introduction of John Walker. So it ties in exactly to Falcon Winter Soldier. Um, but they pointed out things like, you know, in, it was 86 when The Watchmen came out. It was 86 when uh, Frank Miller has his hands in two of them, you know, The Dark Knight Returns and Daredevil Born Again. Uh, Dark Horse was founded. The Punisher had his first, you know, um, limited series. Um, so just this sort of golden age, of golden year of comics. Um, and so just to pass around the room, what seems like the the golden goose there or the or the 
the most, or at least your favorite thing out of those? Well, for me, like you pointed out, it, this was right after my parents moved from urban area to literally middle of nowhere, Eastern shore of Maryland. And when I say middle of nowhere, I literally mean middle of nowhere. There was open fields all around my house. Um, so all I did was read comics. And luckily, um, just over the state line in Delaware, there was a bunch of comic stores. Nowhere here locally, nowhere where I could walk to. No, only where I could go to once a week as a kid. So that was really sucked. But um, it, you know, a lot of that kind of that year produced some of the things we're seeing now. Um, one of the big things that I hadn't remembered um, was that was the year that the X-Men became a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was the Uncanny X-Men series. And then a few years prior, they had come out with New Mutants, um, which was ongoing. But then that was the year that X-Factor premiered. And that's where it brought back the original X-Men with Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Beast, and Angel. So there were three ongoing X-Men series for the longest of time. And now we know there's like, what, at least 50 at this point? (laughs) More coming. Um, So a lot of storylines came out of that year as well that have led into future stories and future mining, I'm sure, for the MCU. So yeah, that was literally a huge year that kind of, oh, and that was the year that Apocalypse Mm -hmm. first appeared. So, in X Factor, yeah. So a huge X Men villain that has been in, it's he's been in a movie, um, which is a lot of people hated. I I thought that it was good, and I thought I, Oscar Isaac's did great as Apocalypse, um, but it's a, uh, you know, it's just a huge year. And then Born Again. I mean, we we I, I think Born Daredevil's Born Again is probably one of the topics that has come up the most since we started doing this podcast. I think it's at least discussed once every third episode. It comes up and at least mentioned somehow. Um, And it's because so many of us are such a fan of it, Um, just because it's that, follows that Frank Miller trope of where he just completely takes the main hero, ruins his life, has him beat down to just a bloody pulp, and then writes how he rises again. So, um, you know, just, a brilliant story and I, I literally i loved everything on this list but i want to give you guys something to talk about so um I'll, I'll stop now we actually did a whole episode on board again too yeah yes and probably could have done a second episode and still had things to talk about yeah you you kind of uh stole my thunder there because I, i'm all about the x-men i always have been uh you know i I actually had stopped collecting comics for a time, but I was a huge collector of, of comics in the 80s and late 70s. Yes, I am that old. And um, so X-Men was just always what I loved so much. And uh, yeah, the, you know, 86 was a big year, as, as Gary already mentioned, with it becoming a franchise and starting other, other comics and, um, you know, I, I think we're kind of seeing not to get away from 86 specifically in that that uh, that nerdist um, column or whatever the the article. But, you know, we're seeing another kind of rebirth of the X-Men now. Uh, and yeah, Gary, they've they've launched too many different 
uh, things, but, you know, I, I love going back to Jonathan Hickman. We haven't had a show on it yet, but, you know, if people haven't read the, uh, what is it, the House of X and Power of Ten, if yeah. they haven't gone through and, and read those, you know, I, I would definitely recommend some of the best storytelling that I've seen, uh, especially last year. Um, but, you know, the X-Men has had a resurgence. Um, I think it needs to go somewhere. And uh, definitely back then, that was a that was a big time in comics. It was a big time in storytelling specifically for the X-Men. 80, 86 was like that. That was kind of my heyday when I was younger with comic books. I mean, I was 10 and I remember very just that. Now I'm going to say I was still basking in the afterglow of Christ on infinite earth. That had been either probably, I think the year before was 85 and yeah. that totally blew my mind. And so did secret wars, which was also around that time, but mm -hmm. Christ on infinite earth totally rocked my world. And I remember, you know, I was a big, earth two fan i love the all-star squadron that was my favorite comic book and and there was actually a comic book store in easton dandelions which was by where rudeberger is now oh wow a little comic book store joe do you remember that i do yep that's right it was <laughs> yeah. dandelions comic book stores there i had those were my first pool box was um Wish and, I but i remember reading the dc comics and justice league international was either 86 or maybe 87 kind of came out right around there but while I was reading all those books, the in the background, because I wasn't allowed to read it yet, they always had the little Who Watches the Watchmen square. And I remember going, what the hell is that? What is that? And it was just so cool. And the marketing was so cool for it. And the branding was so cool for it. And it showed up everywhere. And I kept going, you, know, you would see little bits and sneak pages here and there. And you're like, I don't even know who any of these people are. I, was, I thought when I was a kid, it was another event like Christ on Infinite Earths. But just the whole branding and the whole look of that Watchmen series was just such a phenomenon. Of course, I read it later on, and it's a landmark book, graphic novel or otherwise. But just the entire feel of that era, to me, will always reek first of Christ on Infinite Earths, but then that whole just how cool the Watchmen was. I remember... I was subscribing to Daredevil, like it would come in my mailbox while Born Again was going on. So like I read it comic by comic as it came out. And so that was 35 years ago. 1986 was 35 years ago. And I remember like you didn't tell people you read comics back then. You were like, you know, oh, like you, you kind of snuck into the comic book store or you, you, you know, only your closest friends who also read comics knew you read comics. And the idea that the biggest movies in the world would be based on Marvel comics, it was so foreign. You go down this list, Watchmen has been a movie and a series. X-Men have had multiple movies. The Punisher has had his own series. Amanda Waller is in the Suicide Squad movies. I mean, so, you know, she was introduced then. Born Again has been you know, the basis of one of the seasons of the, of Daredevil. You've, and, you know, all of these things, the, the, the seeds that were planted that year, the characters that created, the stories that are created are still the biggest things in movies. That's crazy. Not to mention that Miller's Batman work was the, you know, is, is the mm -hmm. foundation for so many of the, you know, the whole feel of that, mm -hmm. the, you know, how the dark feel of that was what kind of turned into the Burton movie. And then, of course, you know, the trilogy that failed it. 
John Byrne's yeah. Superman, Man of Steel came out that year. Um, you know, up until then, you never got to know Clark Kent's parents except for in the Superboy Superboy series. Wow, Superboy. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> um, the, uh, but he, uh, you know, he, prior to then, Superman had never had his parents as an adult. And John Byrne changed that. And then, you know, all the way back that, that hit the screen even earlier than now, Lois and Clark, the TV show with Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher, his parents were always guest stars on the show. So, you know, he introduced all these different elements that have come through into the movies now. And that was huge. That was the first time that like Superman's origin had taken like a serious retelling like that. And where he kept the core elements, he added a lot of stuff that was just completely different. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned Dark Horse yet, which really was the first other comic uh, company to really come up against Marvel and DC and really put out some titles that were huge. You know, we still know, well, we're talking about more movies that are still going on now. Hellboy. Mm -hmm. Hellboy was a, was a Dark Horse title. Um you know, they also did what the Alien versus Predator, and they they had the Star Wars uh, comics and Sin City there theirs as well. Sin City, yep, yeah, wow. yeah. So I mean, and that so again, another monumental thing that happened in 1986. I didn't. So I, I 86. I was like 13. Yeah, I was 13 in middle school, and like I said, I didn't. I read comics, but I read G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe was my comic. That was the comic I read um, the most. Um, but I do remember being, you know, and being at Easton Elementary School, uh, sitting in the cafeteria, sitting at those round tables that we would have to sit at, going through after lunch and sitting there with my friends and we would all have different comics that you would bring to school and look at. And I distinctly remember two characters that I've, I won't say fell in love with, but just remember seeing in the comics a lot that they would talk about was the blob and uh um losing the name um mm. blue guy had the red and white thing he would always transform uh disappear and yeah, come I back he was x-men planet no <laughs> uh he was an x-men he was in he was in the nightcrawler, he was in the, nightcrawler. yes nightcrawler thank you uh, and Nightcrawler, those are two that I always saw in those comics that my friend had. For some odd reason, those are the two that always stuck out with me. Uh, but the one thing I do remember about DC Comics, about Marvel Comics, when I would go to where I would go to look at comics also was the news center. Um, yep. up, you would go there and, you know, my mom would take me up there every once in a while or she would go and I would go to the comic section and I would look at the art on the front. That's what drew me into a lot of different comics was seeing the, co the the cover, what they did on the cover, whether it was a Batman comic, whether it was X-Men and just the artwork that they did and kind of flipping through those pages to kind of get a sense of what the, the story was and just the pictures. Not necessarily reading the comic while I was there, but just kind of going through and playing it out in my own head story, you know, would make up for me, it was just, it was those those images of the characters and and, and drawing the, the way they were drawn and, and things like that. That's what I remember most about that particular era, you know, in, in the eighties. And we we haven't even touched on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which it was starting to get whispered around. I, I feel like it was either eighty six or eighty seven, right? That that became like a yep, Mirage like Comics. What's that, right? I, mean, I feel yeah, like that Mirage was, was Comics, to... uh, Eastman and Laird's own independent comic company. 
Yeah, I feel like there were posters of that everywhere at the Dandelion store that I went to. Like, and people were whispering and talking about that. And that was a big. I was like, well, "Teenage Mutant." You know, the first time you hear that, you never forget that. You're like, "What?" In the world? <laughs> and the cartoon <laughs> came out like a couple of years like later, right? Or, that was the first um, graphic novel I bought. You know, I I, I was buying single issue comics, and that and that graphic novel came out before the cartoon ever did, and they actually seemed really cool and tough somehow before the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it was dangerous it was like a dangerous thing it was kind of like the watchman like you know you were yeah. when you were younger you're like i don't know man like i don't like teenage mutant Ninja, i don't know if i'm if i'm a, if I'm allowed to read that or if that's you know whatever that was like a thing it was a very very cool kind of phenomenon but going back to your point mike i mean that how big is that franchise you know what i mean like i mean everything that was born out of that time Miller's daredevil as well wow yeah. so that's 1984 that's that's wild for ninja turtles craziness mm-hmm. And then um, Jeff was talking about Dark Horse um, around that same time period. And it's funny, Mark, because you're, you're mentioning the comic posters. I'm having flashbacks because I was always I was also reading like the I think it was called Comics Scene. And it was like the fanzine that would give you the news. And in the same posters, you would start seeing posters for Lone Wolf and Cub. And it was Dark Horse that took and brought that to the American market and yep. put out translations. So yeah, so there's a lot of stuff from our childhood that again, I mean, you know, Lone Lone Wolf and Cub really tied a lot into, um, you know, some the Mandalorian, um, Logan, you know, all those stories. So it's kind of like, it's kind of crazy how big, even like, like you said, the Turtles came out a few years earlier. So it's like that time period that like mid 80s time period introduced a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now as old men sorry jeff um so but so it's it's really interesting and man i hadn't even thought about the turtles but you're right i have that graphic novel up on my shelf it's one of the things that survived my childhood and it is i can still see the poster it's so funny and i have no idea what it is but i just know i I can remember the because the the graphic you know it was never perfect like the dc and marvel ones it always looked like a little little rough around the edges but there was like it was almost like a gray tunnel or something the four of them were everywhere and they had the logo and the whole thing i remember like it was an eastman layer you remember that you know i mean you can never forget that stuff and it's, and it's funny because we talked about Daredevil, but it's it was actually a riff off of Daredevil. Like instead of the hand, they're fighting the foot. They're created, <laughs> right. they're created by the same vile. Like if you read the original graphic 